Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit excelsiorgp.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club Podcast. Today I have with me Corbett Youssef. Corbett is a combat infantry marine squad leader. Post-military, he has leveraged his education and experience to help businesses establish and maintain their PMOs while dedicating his volunteer time to helping veterans' mental health through physical activity and exercise. Thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. 100%. So kind of funny story. I know your father through Memphis Financial Services Connections and he brought your name up one day and we traded, he made an email introduction. We exchanged some notes and we were trying to find a time to grab coffee. And it wasn't even that we were in the same part of town. We actually work in the same exact building, which is just wild to me. Yeah, that's Nashville for you. It's incredible. And we had a great meeting. You've got a really cool background. On the show, I'm trying to focus more on giving people actionable advice and granular kind of things that they can do, especially oriented towards, I mean, I'm 40, I'm about to turn 41, oriented towards kind of middle-aged guys if they're interested in learning about how they can maintain their fitness in this phase of life. And your background is really well suited to that. Plus, you've got this really interesting kind of military to civilian transition that I want to get into. So I think this will be fun. Maybe to start with, could you give people a little bit of kind of background on yourself and and how you found yourself in the Marines? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of those stories ever since I was about three, I wanted to be in the military. Knew that was where I was going, just wasn't quite sure where in the military I was at. 
And then obviously my generation got pulled into the, the you know, 9-11 incident when Afghanistan kicked off. Well, I was only in seventh grade when 9-11 happened. So it took me a few years to be able to get out and get on over there. And so yeah. I remember going into the uh, recruitment station and they asked me what I wanted to go do. And I said, I'm just trying to get over to Afghanistan as fast as possible. And so, well, and behold, Marine infantry recruiter was there saying, I can get you there next week. And in the recruiter's defense, when you walked through the door, I was like, whoa, dude looks just like a Marine out on a poster. So you like fit, you fit the bill, breaking down doors and the whole deal. Yeah, that's probably what teed him up. And so uh, to his benefit, he absolutely didn't get me over there pretty quickly within the year I was uh, over there. So I was about uh, 21 over at Afghanistan, my first appointments. And then I was a, a team leader there for a while. And then I did uh, two more deployments after that to the Asian Pacific area. So pretty much any country you can think of that we might visit uh, as a military, I was probably involved there for the next three or four years. Ended up as a sergeant squad leader over some over an infantry squad and first battalion fit Marines out in Finland. I really enjoyed my time, met a lot of great mentors, had a had a blast, honestly. And what I had done in the military was specifically in the infantry, I dealt with are the explosives and the rockets that were at the end of that squad. Uh, and one of the side things that kind of teed me up to the follow-on things that I hit in my life was I ended up uh, getting into the mixed martial arts program that they had and ended up becoming a trainer there. So I, I ended up training Marines in hand-to-hand combat. And then kind of the, the subset of that is combat conditioning coordinator that came with me. And that's why I really started falling in love with, with exercise and fitness. And that's not to say that I wasn't always involved in that in my own use, but that really fit well in what I was going to do. And so one of the things that my wife and I, when we were deciding to get out of the military was, what are you going to do? There's not a whole lot of um, infantry skills and tactics used in the civilian world. And so she found a, a university in Nashville, New Island, TSU, decided to jump down to the exercise science program there because it fit well. And then one thing led to the next and we met for the rest. So kind of a really good time there. I ended up doing a lot of research. I ended up staying too long and ended up getting my doctorate in uh, health and human performance. And that's kind of where I started going into the veterans benefits, health, mental health, which eventually transitioned me well into the counter business setting. It was kind of an interesting twist. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for your service. If you could, the deployment you did to Afghanistan, considering everything that's happened since, if you feel comfortable, do you have, you have commentary there in terms of your experience being boots on the ground versus how it wound down and, and, the state of affairs that we find ourselves in today there? Yeah. So my first, I had a very unique uh, situation in Afghanistan. We were in uh, what was called Sangu River Valley, and that's in Helmand province. And that has been marked as one of the bloodiest battles that we actually had uh, in Afghanistan over the entire time there. Had a lot of NATO forces over there, virtually there prior to us, and they had a heck of a time as well. My first 30 minutes on the ground that Elo's actually landed and I was out patrolling, our swan leader was hit. I was directly in front of me. I remember that happening. I thought, buckle up. This is every bit of what they said it was going to be. And so the tempo pretty much didn't decrease over the next seven, eight months while I was there. Uh, we had a, a pretty high casualty rate about, so I think that uh, ended up being about 200 casualties over the course of uh, eight months. But what was remarkable about that number was within two years of being back, we actually almost doubled our KIA that we had with suicides. And so that's where it kind of dawned on me that there's a mist somewhere. And so that's when I started getting more into the research side of the house and starting learning how can we actually benefit them. Maybe it's not a pill, maybe therapy as well, maybe it's both, but it's got to be some other sort of facet that we can actually manipulate. And so that's when I realized something that is 
always going to be true to a Marine every day or soldier or sailor. There's a, there's a fitness component. They usually start to about 5 a.m. And one of the things that they lose when they need the service, aside from the structure and the mission and everything else that you get, so they, they, they lose that physical activity component. And I absolutely thought that had some sort of impact on people's mental health. And I don't think that there's a difference between military or civilian mental health. When we talk about physical activity, I think that is something that we just need to have at the forefront in order for us to be able to do whatever the mission is that we're accomplishing. Could you repeat that stat for me, the KIA suicide one that you just mentioned? Yeah. So we, we had just under 20 KIA for the same one that we did within 1st Battalion Fifth Marines. And so we had actually a little over 200, I think it was around 205 casualties, which is whether it's a shrapnel wound or bullets, IED, whatever it is, and by the end. Within about two to three years post that deployment, we had actually hit over the KIA number, almost doubling within the unit. And most of those individuals, if not all of them, to my knowledge, were people who were already out. Typically, the way that a tempo worked for like the Afghanistan, Iraq era for the military, especially Marines, was you typically would do one, two deployments in the point of period, and then you would be out within about a month from that final deployment. That's typically how it doesn't always line up that way, but typically that's the pipeline. And so I think that's one of the things the military recognized that started doing much better toward the end of that era, 20 plus year period was they would actually have holding times where once you come back, they would keep you close, they would make sure that you're with your group, and, and they wouldn't just release you into the wild, so to speak. They would actually kind of have a decompression time. And that really did help. And I can see that was a benefit. But the interesting thing about uh, residuals of war is that well, there's a short period under 12 months, and then there's a long period after that post-12 months. And those two different things are handling different ways. And so that's something that I think that we're just not quite focused on within the military or within certain government organizations that I think that could probably help a little bit more. Yeah, it's fascinating. I was a prosecutor in Nashville-Davidson County from 2009 to 2013 ballpark. And the majority of the officers that I interacted with were former military, mostly Marines. And a lot of them had done tours in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I just remember talking to them. And a lot of them, they just loved the police force because it had that structure and the hierarchy similar to the military. They felt very comfortable there. But I mean, looking back on it, many of them were struggling with substance abuse. There were a number of suicides that occurred within the force while I was there. And it just seemed like that handoff between the military and civilian or quasi-civilian life they were serving in the force was just really like ham-fisted and not done well considering the volume of people that we were dealing with that were rotating out. So what was that transition like for you? Yeah. I mean, it, I would be, I'd be lying if I said it in the smoothest possible transition have. But one of the things I had worked in my benefit was I had a, I had a very pro-military family that has a lot of military members in the family. So they were a really good support system. I was married to a woman who absolutely supported me through all my deployments and understood when things were changing for me and could identify them. And then we actually took steps to improve those issues that were going to come up. One of the things I think that maybe I did a little bit better than some, no, no real fault of my own, really, with my wife and pushing to it was found the next mission. That's one of the big things that people have issues with. And you have the mission, the camaraderie, and also that goes to the mission and the purpose. I think that those things, no matter what you're doing in life, they really got to be in focus. And so when I got out of the military, 
but the mission was, I'm going to get my bachelor's degree. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go get into a gym. I'm going to help people. It's going to be great. And the mission changed while I was there. I ended up uh, doing a lot of research with uh, spinal cord injury uh, participants. And there were some veterans that were involved in that, obviously. And so that started kind of snowballing into this whole different area of mental health where I realized the body is important, but the mind cannot work without a body that is performing in a way that it should. And so you know, those two things kind of married together during my education. And so the mission kept evolving into helping veterans and to providing benefits to veterans. And then ultimately jumping into the business side and then helping veterans within the company's ideal. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I think um, my transition was with better than most. And it was primarily due to a focus on what was next. So let's get into some of the work you did kind of with the Marines. And then academically, the research has gotten a lot better here. And I completely agree with you. I think just fitness overall and exercise overall has really been underestimated within the community, but the benefits of it, both physically and mentally. Can you talk a little bit more about exactly the area of study that you focused on in your graduate work? Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of interesting the way I got into this area. So exercise science with my passion degree. And toward the end of my exercise science degree, I had to do multi-internship. And I found that there was an internal internship uh, to MTSU, which was part of this underwater treadmill program for individuals with spinal cord injuries, whether that's complete injuries, quadriplegics, or incomplete, so in paraplegics. And they were able to help them out. And I spent about six months working with these individuals and just fell in love with, honestly, how driven so many of them are, where they were crippled to the point where they could not get out of their seat. And they had more drive than I saw in some of the Marines I worked with. So I fell in love with that area. Ended up doing my master's thesis in uh, veterans' health because that was one of the things I would be getting at that time since 2017. I would get a call about every month from somebody saying, so-and-so's gone or this happened. They just gave me a heads up. And so whenever I had my phone ringing, it was an old swab and I almost knew knee-jerk reaction, something else had happened. That really started making me jump back into this thesis uh, of how do we look. First off, it was I knew there was some sort of connection between physical activity and health. And so I looked into within a, a specific group, a veteran group, it didn't matter if you were Marines, if you were sailor, if you were National Guard, just military in general, and looked at where you place on what the VA would consider their mental health standard, which is the PCL5 scoring system out of eight points. And then where you also place on the International Physical Activity Questionnaire or the IPAC and looking at different, different similarities between those two. And that time when I completed my thesis was a very pivotal moment as well, because a gentleman that I had worked with, who was a Vietnam veteran, went twice to Vietnam, was shot the first time in the parachute group, and then took shrapnel from a ruby trap the second time. And so he had a spinal injury that was pretty severe. And when I worked with him, things were getting better. He was actually at his vulnerability. He then worked to deliver his steps. And then suddenly he killed himself, unfortunately. Right about the time my thesis was it was a shock to all of us. It was a shock to me, obviously. And it just reinforced my understanding that it doesn't matter if you just got out of Afghanistan or Iraq or you look on the Vietnam there. These things are real and they're there. We have to address them. And we can't just kind of push them under the rug. And that's what spiraled me into my PhD dissertation, which was, okay, I know there is some sort of interaction means to what if I implement a low intensity, moderate intensity activity session for a few time, about eight weeks, eight to 12 weeks. How does that impact their PCL5? What, what is the interaction there as well as what's the interaction with their sleep behaviors? 
And what research that I went into, I found from that research was we could adjust their PCL5 score to a clinically significant level by the VA standards by minimally introducing exercise and activity. I'm not talking about bench pressing for hours on end. I'm talking about walking at a brisk pace with other minutes. Very minimally invasive, improved, but drastic improvements that you can get. So that's really where the research kind of led me to and, and why I ended up going to the the BA's medical board ratings uh, for a few years as well. And was it taken, was the evidence taken seriously by military and the VA? Was it, I mean, was yeah. it implemented? Okay. Uh, absolutely. So when I did get this research done, I pushed it out to open source that it could be viewed. And then I also went to the BHA and spoke to the then CEO, Rachel Barron. And she and I had a nice long talk in her office with a few other individual directors around this idea. And so she gave me full support to be able to leverage some of the facilities and work with some of the areas and try and help with ideas of how we can actually best implement this different kind of approach. Because simultaneous to this, they have an initiative called the Whole Health Program, which is very centered around physical activity as well as kind of therapy sessions that are outside of the normal parameters of a room that you would be in. And so we actually, I actually have a conversation coming up next week with another director over there to see kind of the next steps of, of how we start implementing this because. In my mind, and, and there's obviously a lot of red tape, but in my mind, the best use of this type of information would be once somebody gets diagnosed and the doctor says, this is what you have, there are the next steps. We're going to get you on some sort of pharmaceutical intervention and we'll get you on some sort of therapeutic intervention. And those are great. The issues with the pharmaceutical side is that it takes up to six months to get the right dose, the right patient, everything else that needs to be happening. And then therapy can be very similar as well. The one-on-one therapy sessions that happen may not be beneficial to some, whereas group therapy might be better for others. So that's trying to fine-tune those two different approaches is, is really what they're going for. But the issue with that six-month period is that from diagnosis to the first year within that PTSD kind of spectrum, if you will, those first six months are crucial. Because PTSD left on check will exponentially increase. So my idea would be, okay, while we're trying to get these major players and be able to help this individual, we could offer something that is minimally invasive and it's something that they're used to begin with. And we can have the added effects of maybe a group uh, mentality where we can actually have sort of a slaughter or zoom, if you will, people going the same direction with the same mission, same purpose to get some sort of that, uh, I guess, tenacity that we've lost as well in that community. Yeah, I know from my own experience, I've had acute episodes of depression and the SSRIs and all that, they, they're they good, they work, they do take some time to upload and therapy is the same thing. It's It can be slow moving, but there are some very basic things that you can do in the near term to make yourself feel better within 24 to two hours. And it would be, are you sleeping? Are you eating clean? Are you working out? And And I agree with you. I think the fitness component combined with the group that appears that you, like everything starts from sleep, right? So if you're sleeping yeah. well, it means you're getting up early to work out, which means you don't want to drink. It means you want to eat well and eat clean. And then it just kind of builds on top of itself over time. Yeah. So it all makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. That, that is the, in my mind, that's kind of the makings of a good day. Like when you can sleep well, you can eat well and you can work out. Rarely going to get all three of those on the same day, but if we're aiming for that, I mean, the improvements are going to be far-reaching. Yeah. And that sense of purpose, I think, and, and structure is really important for these guys. L- let's transition a little bit more to a-, a conversation that we had in my office about strength versus hypertrophy. If you could maybe help us define the technical terms for both of those, and then we can get into a little bit of 
maybe your experience and findings about how to train to optimize those things. Yeah. So just kind of a level set of two different uh, schools of thought. You have your hypertrophy and then you also have your strength based. Really at its fundamental level, hypertrophy is just that. He's trying to build muscle. Whatever the purpose is, whatever the reason is, is to build muscle. And strength, in contrast to hypertrophy, strength is really there to train a movement. That's what you're really aiming for. You're not training to get a strong chest. You're not training to get a strong legs. The goal should be a movement-based activity. And so you see a lot of strength athletes. They're not sitting up there like a bodybuilder and flexing for hours on end. They had a purpose. They're taking this object and they're moving it this far. It is a strength-based program. Compared to bodybuilders, who you look at hypertrophy, they have no events, so to speak. They have a performance that they have, but really it's all about the aesthetics of it. And both of these are great. It just depends on what your goal on. So when somebody says, I want to get strong, so I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, I said, well, hang on. What is the goal? Why is the goal there? And then we can start figuring out, should you be more in the strength-based area or should you be more in the hypertrophy? You might have your wires off in that. We put together a free resource available exclusively to our podcast listeners. If you're looking for strategies to safeguard your portfolio against inflation, you want to check out our latest guide on the best alternative investments to consider. Head to ExcelsiorGP.com slash download to learn more. Yeah, super helpful. It's actually funny. I was <laughs> last night, we were watching hockey and then kind of moving around a little bit. And it was the Arnold Rogue competition classic last night in Columbus, Ohio. And this was, it's a strongman competition. And I was talking to my kids about this. I mean, these guys are deadlifting a thousand pounds. I mean, and my son, my younger one was like, wow, they're so strong, but they don't look strong. Yeah. Right. Because some of them are, they're large humans. They're not bodybuilders. Right. And so I tried to explain to him, well, they're training for very specific things, right? They're trying to lift, <laughs> deadlifting a thousand pounds and then moving 800 pounds, 50 yards or whatever, these different activities they do. It's not as if they're trying to look a certain way. They're just trying to be able to achieve these certain tasks. And so it kind of made me think last night and this morning about this conversation we're having today. And I do think people get very confused. You know, they go to the gym and they don't understand how to arrive at the destination they want to be at, right? And to your point, if you're doing powerlifting and you're doing three distinct movements, well, then you should train for those movements. If you want to look a certain way, then your training is going to be dictated by that as well. So could you maybe break yeah. down like your experience about sets, rep counts, how to actually optimize training to achieve those different things? Yeah, absolutely. So at its fundamental level, two differences. You're looking at hypertrophy, which I have absolutely been in that world for a while and done some work in there for a few years. I'm looking at hypertrophy. You're really going to be looking at more of a volume-based training. Now, you, you, when I say volume, I mean, what are your sets? What are your reps? And what is the weight? And you're looking at that max load that you can really give whenever that muscle group is that you're giving, and you're trying to increase that over time. Because the way that your body is going to pay is as that muscle is broken down, it's going to replace it and try to build upon it and try and overcome that stimulus that you, you know, inject into it. So that's more of a hypertrophy set. And the way that you can go about that, you can center it off of the three big lists that you mentioned, the bench, squat, deadlift, where you can center that around more of accessory motions. It really depends on your medical history, what you prefer, right? Some people go like bench, some people prefer something else, but really tailoring that volume load in a way that makes sense to you. And that's kind of the next step when you decide in a type coaching. And on the other end of the spectrum, the strength area, 
like you had mentioned, you don't look stronger. I personally love it. I mean, I'm always going to be a powerlifting part, but what I love so much about the strength world is we don't really care to build muscle. It's a byproduct next rate. Um, but, but really we're just trying to work on what's called mechanoreceptors, uh, which you, you have two primary ones that you really want to start honing in on. And they are your muscle spindles and they are the Golgi tendon organs. You can say MS or GTOs. MS or muscle spindles are interwoven within the muscle fibers of your body. What you really want to do with those is you want to activate them. With the more that they are going to be firing in sync, the more you're going to be able to use X number of pounds of muscle to overcome whatever the object is. So being able to do that doesn't require you to build more muscle. It just requires you to build that mechanical receptor. And so on your GTO side, which is more of a protective mechanism to basically stop muscles from breaking themselves, you want to suppress that to a certain level that is safe in order for you to overcome that weight. And you had mentioned earlier, and I, I love it, is, is they don't look strong. One of my favorite things when I was going through my powerlifting phase and kind of for a plan, but my powerlifting phase at, at my absolute best was right around a 700 squat. And then you all, I also had a little over a 600 deadlift and then right just over 400 bench. And so I, I definitely was kind of on the upper end of the strength spectrum for most people at a typical gym. But what I loved the most about it was I was about 220 pounds when I was doing that. So when I would be next to some of these real bodybuilders that were actually nationally ranked gym I used to go to, I enjoy being able to work out next to them because inevitably they turn and say, how are you doing that? Because you're half the size. And, uh, and so I think that's just one of the, and again, it just depends on your goal, but if your goal is, is to become strong, then obviously powerlifting has some pretty interesting areas that you can start dabbling. Yeah. I mean, for people who don't have perspective, those are some really impressive weights. I was going to ask what you were weighing at the time. So that's, you talk about multiple times your body weight and the score is the total of those three lists combined, right? So based on body weight and, and age and all that. So when you're training for strength, when you were doing that at that height, like what was your set and rep counts and how many days a week were you training and, and how long were you training actually in the gym? So tailoring the conversation to more of a general population that like to use this. So we got to exclude uh, the elite levels uh, as well as the other end of the spectrum that are unable to perform these things. We're talking about right on Main Street, those individuals. What I did, which again, depend on the person and make sure that you're medically able to do these types of things, was I did what's called a, uh, I started with a three day split, which was a push, pull, press. So when I say, or excuse me, push, pull, squat. And so when I say push, any motion that is pushing any sort of object away from you, whether that is an overhead press, it's a bench press, it doesn't matter whether it's you're pushing things away, it all goes on that thing. And then for the, the pull, it is just the opposite, right? And then the last day was the squat, obviously. And typically for me, obviously my squat on my best, I really focused on that. I hiked my whole life. I was in the Marines. I did well away. I love squats. So I really wanted to devote a whole day to that specific motion. But to get to your question of what was the left count, set counts, one of the other things uh, that's a big difference between hypertrophy and strength are obviously just those. So for hypertrophy, I mentioned earlier, you want the volume. Whereas for strength, you're looking at maximum percentages that you can put out consistently in order to elicit responses in the future. And so what I mean by that is my set counts for any given day, I'm trying to build that motion with me as large as 10 sets by three reps with three to five minute rests. That seems outrageous to sign because you're basically going to spend 30 to 40 minutes on that motion. 
But again, you got to remember, you're not breaking muscle tissue down. It's not the intent. And so your recovery time can be much quicker if you get that hard in. Whereas if you're doing a volume base and you're doing 20,000 pounds of volume in a given motion, you're not going to be able to hit that muscle the next three days, at least in a meta-safe way. And so it also depends, going back to the strength component, on those push, pull, squat days, it's very difficult to train everything simultaneously. I typically would rev up one and bring the other two down. So when I got up to a 700 squat, I would touch the bench press and not to remember the form and get that down, but I never trained bench. What was the ironic part of the whole thing was after this, I believe it was about seven, eight months of a real hard training every day on this program, doing about usually 10 resets, or excuse me, 10 sets, three reps, 85, 90% uh, rep range. And then I would end up fluctuating that all the way down to about in my most probably five sets, seven reps. I'm almost hitting the high purchase state, still kind of leading into that high one RM area. Going into that, I actually improved my bench press by 10 pounds without touching it for seven months. All I did, it was keeping it on maintenance of just making sure I had an emotion. And, and where that's derived from, like what I just mentioned earlier, the mechanical receptors that learn how to fire more efficiently, as well as things like testosterone increases that are naturally going to happen when you start picking up heavy weights and the high percentage of water rings. And what about nutrition for you? What did that look like while you were doing this phase of training? Yeah. Yeah. So it's so funny. When I, when I talk about hypertrophy restraint, I've got to talk in general terms because in general, that's how it's going to impact. You can't apply general statistics to an individual. So if I told you, you can, hey, this is how you need to be managing this, I'd be incorrect because you were going to be different than the general population. In the same way, the way that I handle nutrition, my, my workouts are very different than how I uh, work at a textbook and read how this needs to be performed. So when I would actually bleed into a hypertrophy setting, I never really went into the eight to 12 recreation to typically think. I would stick to five to eight and still be very straight, kind of minded, but that I would still get that look of hypertrophy. And the way that I did that was by nutrition. And so when I'm actually working towards some sort of strength goal, I'm not a nutritionist by any means. I definitely have a lot of experience in the area, but I would not be ashamed if my calorie intake went up by 500 to 1,000 calories over what I should be for that day. Because I would just think, well, tomorrow's a big lift day. I need to have the excess energy, all that kind of stuff. That's fine. But when I'm looking for hypertrophy, I really hyper focus on what my calories are in, what's the out, and look at it much like a bank account, right? What is my intake? What is my expense? And if at any point in time the expense is too much or the intake is too much, if it's not streamlined, you risk gaining weight, gaining a student fat mass, or you actually risk catabolism of the muscle tissue. So you've got to really hone in, make sure you are still either keeping the fat you want or burning the fat you want to burn while also staving off any sort of muscle deficiencies that may come with increasing the calorie intake because the molecular level your body just sees it as a kind of a starving stage potential. So you've got to make sure that you have that in, in sync. And so for me, the way that I really manage that or just find a three macro nutrients, you know, protein, your fat, your carbohydrates, and being able to manage that at a percentage level to make sure that whatever they're trying to do is going in the right direction. Now, you can get into much more of the micro settings and figuring out how much niacin do I need for my day, what do I need over here. All that kind of stuff is great, but you definitely need to talk to the dietitian at that point. You're going to get that granular on it, which I never need to dabble with. But in terms of those three macros, absolutely managing maybe it's a 50% protein, 30% carb, 20% fat. It really just depends on tweaking it for yourself to find out where that sweet spot is for your performance and what you're trying to do. 
Yeah, I, I don't think people in general public appreciate, we talk about hypertrophy, talk about bodybuilding, the amount of volume and time these people spend in the gym. You're talking two or three hours a day, oftentimes of training, right, of lifting. And then how tight they are, the nutrition is really, the discipline it requires is something that is, I think, really underestimated Ooh. by the general public, just how brutal it can be. Let's kind of sum this up. Now that you are a father, you're in the business community, you don't have the time that you used to have. Wow. Like, how do you think about maintaining your fitness, physique, strength? How do you balance all that out? And then also on the nutrition side, what does that re regimen look like today for you? Yeah. So uh, today, as you mentioned, so I, I transitioned from the academia world into the business world and uh, helping a Fortune 100 healthcare company build out the military affairs program. And now I've moved over into more of a, of a software launch services area. And so helping out the MOs that are involved there, all these different things, which require very strange hours, whether or not I'm up at 1 a.m. for a product launch, or I'm going to call it you know, 4 a.m. or something like that. So how I manage that now is my, my mission had shifted, my priorities have shifted. I'm no longer trying to pick up 700 pounds twice. I'd love to, but like, as you mentioned, there's just not enough time in the day. When I was picking up those heavy weights, you're absolutely right. I'm spending about two hours every day deliberately training these different muscles. And then also, I, I was also playing out different meal plans and making sure I had everything teed up ready. And so it would not be an underestimation to say two and a half hours of my day was spent intentionally on this stuff. And so it's almost a part-time job, just about. So can't do that anymore, obviously. So how do I get there? For me, and this is so funny, my wife was just asking me, she was uh, talking about getting on with her co-lab with herself. And I told her, I, I actually just walk into the gym and, and do what I feel is right in the moment. I'm not on some sort of goal to get massive. I'm not on a goal to pick up a ton of weight. So when I go in there, I listen to my joints. I have put them to the radio through the Marine Corps, through my previous life of hiking all the time as well, powerlifting. So my shoulders are feeling bad that day. I'm going to be doing some high repetition, low volume, just to be working with the motion. I'm feeling great. Yeah, I might add wins of that strength stretching and start picking up some heavy weights, but really I'll listen to myself now. So that's kind of where I come from. And so it's more of a hybrid between the two is where I am. I just want to make sure that I can continually twirl my kids. My nieces and nephews in the air as high as I can and make them swing, right? That's my goal. And so the way that I really get that going is the cardio. One of the unique things that I found, a team that I work with, just, just by chance, grace of God, they are also very active individuals. And so one of the things that I have, I don't want to say I instituted, but we just kind of all fell into it. Once we get out of some sort of long lead, three minutes, hour long, strenuous, trying to figure out some sort of business problem, we'll typically unplug take our headsets and we'll walk and we'll talk and we'll talk through the issues of what we're going through while we're getting out all those endorphins, build up in the endorphins. So I get most of my cardio, honestly, during the workday. And if I need to take a call while I'm walking, if I don't actually need my computer at that time, I will every time go for a walk while I'm trying to solve whatever problem there's a managing different things. In terms of the exercise external to that, so resistance training, Typically, that's a hit or miss for me. I am happy if I can get three or four days of workout in. And I'll think that for most individuals my age, what we're doing, I think three or four days of resistance training is more than enough, especially if you're not really trying to have any sort of goal of, I, I want to gain 10 pounds of muscle, I want to lose 10 pounds of fat, all that kind of stuff. Those things can be approached and can be attained, but you need to be very deliberate in what you're doing. And for me, I think yourself is probably in the same area. 
while physical activity is incredibly important, it's family, it's the work, it's everything else. Those are obviously going to be Ohio on our, our scale. So for the diet portion, I, I am uh, very blessed to have a wife that is able to take care of the house and care of the kids, all this different stuff that's happening while I'm off working. So typically, we just make very healthy-minded choices for how they are going to eat. typically eat chicken or eat fish. Maybe once a week, every other week, we'll have a little bit of beef in there, a little bit of red meat. That's great. We try to make sure that when we're eating, and this is something that I heard a while ago that was validated during my research, when you're eating a meal, the best kind of meal you can have is no bigger than your fist. Anything excess, typically, you better be storing a lot of that stuff as energy, as had a post tissue of fat, storing it up for the next activity. So trying to pour sheet control, we have, well, just making more health, uh, health conscious decisions. So we're not going to be drinking a whole lot of soda. We're not going to be having a whole lot of fruits. And honestly, that, to my point, this in my has been sufficient to keep me both healthy physically, a blood pressure is great, uh, no, no sort of issues with triglycerides and my bad. So trying to instill into my children, hey, you don't need to be a health nut and weighing your chicken and everything in a meal, but if you make health conscious decisions, it'll pan out in the end, in my opinion. Yeah, I think we talked about this in the in my office. I think the cool part about what's going on today is just the access to resources and the information is so much better than when, I mean, I'm 41. When I got into lifting in high school and college, you would like talk to your buddies at the gym. Half of them were probably on steroids looking back on it. And like, it was bro science and you just kind of pick stuff up through talking to people and maybe got a book here and there. But now you have podcasts and webinars and blogs and people like you that have PhDs and grad certificates in these very you know specific spaces and you can learn for free really if you just spend some time on it so it's really cool i think what's going on today and educating younger people about lifting and fitness and strength is great well corbett this has been awesome i want to thank you so much for coming on and talking about all this as we wind down if people are interested in connecting with you obviously on the veteran side or the fitness side they can reach out but could you kind of reiterate what you're doing in terms of your day job today and if there's synergies there if people want to learn more about yeah, that absolutely so so currently i am working with infoworks which is a national based consultant firm where we handle anything from data science needs cloud-based needs PMO, uh, erp systems things of that nature and we really focus uh, a lot within the healthcare space trying to help the hospitals that are, that are so well known within nashville uh, as well as helping out uh, some of the software service companies that are adjacent to Nashville, Knoxville, Chattanooga, things of that nature. And so uh, currently I'm a manager over at InfoWorks and I handle a, a few different teams on a specific account where, where we're handling software as a service deploy, kind of this new platform, pushing all these different products. And it's just a really exciting time to be able to kind of help out this business and work out the operation systems and manage the PMOs in there. And uh, so that's one of a number of things that we do over at InfoWorks. And so it's, it's been a thrill. And I'm going to say, in terms of military mission, academic mission, this new line where we're helping out both healthcare companies getting things up and running and software service companies up and running and making sure that they are streamlined. It's, it feels much like kind of that Marine mission mentality where we're a team, we're moving, we're getting things done. So I, I love the transition to business at this point in my life. And I think it's been wonderful. That's awesome, man. And congrats on all the success and the transition. And I'm a huge fan of your dad's. So it's great to have you on the show. And he's a terrific guy. One question we do ask folks who come on is, do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? Yeah. So absolutely. My main goal 
every morning. And it's not to say that I hit it every morning. My main goal, if I know my base is going to be successful one way or the other, is if I'm able to take my kids to school. That's the goal. Before noon, it is be able to get the kids home or get them to store, excuse me. And then my afternoon is I try my hardest to work my schedule out to give me 15 minutes to see them when they come home. And for me, they want if I can get those two things done. Love it. Thank you for sharing. Thank you again for your service. Best of luck. And I'll probably see you in the lobby or in, a, in an yes. elevator at some point. Absolutely. But, uh, thanks again for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. I really appreciate the time. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode.